Welcome to another episode of the Work Hard, Play Hard podcast. My name is Rob Murgatroyd, and each week on this podcast, I talk to some of the most fascinating people on the planet in all areas of life, from mindset to fitness to spirituality, and of course, business. Look, I believe you deserve success in all the areas of your life, not only business. But before we get into today's show, you may want to join us on our next Work Hard, Play Hard experience. This year, we're going to be going to Mykonos and Marrakesh. In these experiences, I have hand-selected a group of high-performing business people who are seeking more balance, connection, and they want to celebrate their wins as a reward for the hard work that they put in. If you want someone to curate once-in-a-lifetime experiences and force you to play more, rush over to workhardplayhardexperience.com. Fill out an application so we can jump on a discovery call to see if this is a good fit for you. And remember, excuses are over. It's time to live. I'm not going to be here if it's not interesting and exciting, but I'm not going to wait for Laird. I'm going to be the one on my side. So I'm trying to learn. I'm staying in shape. I'm trying to be pleasant. And I used to tell my friends, listen, if you want your partner to be like a superhero, you kind of have to treat them like that. If you're beating someone down all the time and complaining and, you know, sort of personally attacking them, at some point, you know, it's probably going to head that way. With everyone, my kids, certainly my husband, and even in my business, how do I communicate as honestly, concisely, without ego or other things behind it, and then let it be? What's up, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the Work Hard, Play Hard show. Today on the show is Gabby Reese. So for those of you who don't know who Gabby Reese is, she was a professional volleyball player. She was a model. She is married to Laird Hamilton. She has a top podcast. Girl is a baller. We had an absolute blast covering all sorts of things. Like, what is it like to be a number one model? What is it like to be a number one volleyball player? What is it like to be married to the number one surfer? What is it like? We just went down the into just a giant rabbit hole of great conversations. And I learned so much. She's so direct and so clear in her communication that it's just a pleasure to talk with her. So you're going to love this episode. Please enjoy this wonderful conversation I had with Gabby Reese. Gabby, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thanks for having me. You're welcome. I am super excited to have you on the show because you exemplify somebody to me that is living life to the fullest and in a very authentic way without any apologies. So um, I'm always looking for people like that on the show. Thank you. I, I would agree with the authentic part. Sometimes I am always working on the, like there's a, I have a rigidity that I have to work on that maybe keeps me from the fullest. I think, you know, I live with Laird and Laird is sort of the fullest guy. And I am the line holder. So I think that's something I'm always kind of navigating. Yeah, we're going we're gonna to get into that for sure. I think, um, I think a great jumping off point would be to rewind the clock just a bit and take you back to the 80s if you're, if you're down for that. Sure. <laughs> I'm always down to go to the 80s. <laughs> you met with um, a famous photographer. His name was uh, Stephen Mizell. And he was shooting you for Italian Vogue. And that really hit me because as I'm walking through these streets of Italy, you know, I've got this, this sort of like vision of what that must have been like, you know, in the 80s for you, as young as you were at that time. When you look back on that period of your life, what comes to mind for you? Honestly, I think. You know, it is a real indication that uh, people have 
probably some paths that are laid out. And because I just think as a parent, right, I'm always like, oh, well, what are they going to do this? Are they going to do that? And if I really think about my own life, examples of like that are examples of where you're you're going to go, especially if you're open to it, you're going to get there. And, um, you know, the chances of me, you know, working with Stephen Mizell at 18 and, and kind of falling into all of that while playing college volleyball, um, that's really out of my hands. And quite frankly, and something I'm really glad about is I always understood what that was, that it was a job and I was really in the hustle, but I never really attached to that because that's pretty, can be pretty dangerous. And so I think because I was doing other things, I actually never locked too hard into, uh, and I I think a lot of people don't, they don't really lock into like what's happening. Mm -hmm. You, in pretty short order, around 92, I think you made a decision to leave modeling and uh, you said, I'm, you know, just sort of done with it. Looking back for you now, what do you think modeling taught you about business and or life? Well, it taught me a ton. First of all, you know, traveling the world, being paid to travel the world. So getting that education in itself, working with hyper-talented people, knowing the real difference between someone who is really almost like an artist or a professional versus someone who was... They liked it, but it's like really, it's, you can see it in athletics. You can see it in everything where the edge of somebody who has a lot of talent. And when you're working in those fields at that level, you, everyone you're working with is really, really talented. And so being able to recognize the difference. Um, I also learned, um, you know, the, how to show up, but also weirdly, even at that time, I would have rules even as a young person, I was 18, 19, and I would do things like this. So when you work for magazines, you don't really get paid. You get paid a minimal day, right? And when you do advertising or catalog, that's where you make your money. But you get all your exposure, my favorite word in the whole world, through the magazines. So what I would do is I'd say, okay, two days max on editorial. So here I am 18, 19, and pretty quick did I understand that if I was going to be in this circus, because sometimes it's a circus, I could show up and be hyper-professional. I could do anything that had me hanging from trapezes, doing all kinds of stuff for two days. So typically I understood even how to set boundaries. So it's like both, right? It's like, how do I do my job and weirdly set boundaries? And then, and finally was the perception of image. I mean, listen, they're the ones, the fashion business is the one that taught me so that when I went to a sport that was so small that no one ever saw me, that when they were going to see me, I was really um, strategic already um, at that point about what that was going to look like because I understood the importance of that. How did you not let your ego get in the way at that young age? Because I, you know, I don't know, maybe because I'm a dude, I think if I was exposed to sort of that world at that time, I feel like I would have been like a Justin Bieber train wreck. You know what I mean? Like how, how did you keep your shit together and be so pragmatic about making money to be able to pursue what it was that you were, or, or making money and pursue what it was that you were really interested in, as opposed to, you know, just especially at that time, like, you know, at Studio 54 partying and you you know what I mean? Like I have this vision in my head of what it could have been, but that was not what you did. I guess the question is, how did you not do that? You know, some of it is, uh, I think it's, it's pretty simple. I think I was raised in a way that was a little bit bumpy for me. And Mm -hmm. I was really interested in a level of homeostasis or security. And so that coupled with my natural personality, which is pretty self-protective. I'm not really a destructive person. You know, I have three daughters and I can see different traits in each of them. And one's like, Oh, what's that like? And one is like, I, she's a pain in the ass, but I don't worry about her being really radical because I understand she's a little more self-protective. So I'd love to say, Oh, I was so smart and wise. But the truth of the matter is, is I was trying to work. I was serious about that. And I was not really interested in um, doing 
harmful things to myself. And for me, I equated, remember, I grew up in the Caribbean where people were drinking and doing a lot of stuff that I equated or associated with this destructive behavior that I also understood in the long run, even at that age, that story doesn't end well. So I, I got to avoid a lot of stuff through, through that. And, and, um, and then as far as following the things I wanted to do, I also learned very early to trust my instincts. And so I really kept my eyes and I always do that. I, I always try to keep my eyes open about, no, what do you really want to do? Don't get distracted by, you know, um, things that are so maybe even more obvious, like keep understanding who you are and where you are, where you would like to be and where you'd like to spend your time. And I just think that kind of led me to, to some places. So in some ways, the contrast of what you were exposed to in the Caribbean put the curbs on so that you could, you just knew where you're going to wind up if you didn't go down, if you went down that road. Yeah. I got to avoid a lot of hassle by learning what not to do for sure. <laughs> yeah, right. right. Sometimes you got to touch the stove. Yeah. Uh, and I did, you know, but very young, like 13, 14, 15, I, you know, we had carnival and stuff like, you know, we, I did a little bit of that, but, but still ultimately very little. You did, um, you did a hosting gig uh, for MTV uh, called The Extremists. And that's where you met uh, your husband, Laird, because you were interviewing him. And you two now have been married, I think, a little over 20 years. If you were giving advice to your three girls about marriage, what would you tell them? You know, it's interesting about personal things. I weirdly try not to give too much advice um, because everything is so personal. So if people ask me, if my girls asked me, I, I certainly would say, so I have been with Laird for 20, almost 26 years and married almost mm. 24 years. And let me tell you on paper, when I met Laird, it wasn't a good idea. You know, I was 25. He was getting out of a marriage. He had a four month old daughter. I mean, it was there was nothing good about it. And I was, you know, already very successful. I didn't need to be in a relationship. Um, but weirdly, there was something in my gut that I, and again, I, I wasn't overly, I would say romance was the one place in my life that I was the most experimental for sure. I was like, Oh, what's that? What's this? What's that? What's that like? What's this? Let's try that. And there was tons of, men around. I was in sports. I was moving around. It was like, okay. But it was the one time where I thought, uh, this, this doesn't look so great on paper, but I, I, there's something here. And I wasn't into drama or like destructive relationships. I was a person who picked people that treated me well. So I would just tell my girls that this is a very personal decision. And, um, and sometimes, you know, I actually kept that from a lot of people. I wasn't looking for people's input at that point. I was like, it's okay. I'm not asking you what you think about this. And, um, and there's something kind of brutal about that. And I would hope that my girls would understand that it is their life. And so I would say that, but also to, and I think my husband said a good job. Uh, I always tell my girls, be more interested in finding someone you can be excited about and you can love than I want someone who loves me. Because at the end of the day, that's what's going to keep you showing up. And that's the only thing you're in charge of. If you pick someone who then isn't being as loving or kind or showing up, you can cross that bridge uh, when you get there. But for me, what really was important, and I didn't realize it until I met Larry because he was the first person, was, oh, then him and I love him makes me show up in a higher, better way. And so I think, weirdly, that seems to be the right order. Versus I, I want someone who treats me good. Yeah, great. What if you're bored and you act shitty and, you know, who cares? Versus I respect them. Maybe I have a little reverence, you know, like, so I think that that was really important. And, and obviously you're grooming them all along, like respect yourself. So obviously you're, you're innately, you're not, you're only going to kind of put up with so much. Are there, are there any things that you've picked? Well, I'm sure there are. Which things would you say? maybe one or two in the last 26 years that have worked for you 
in relationship? Because a lot of people listening to the show, you know, are in relationship, they're married and, you know, some of them are, some is great. Some is not so great. And they're always looking for ways to improve it. So are there any things that, you know, you guys do together that you think is a good one? I don't know if it's that we do it together. It's that we both do it regardless which is, I'm not going to be here if it's not interesting and exciting, but I'm not going to wait for Laird. I'm going to be the one on my side. So I'm trying to learn. I'm staying in shape. I'm trying to be pleasant. And I see Laird the same way. So what I think we do independent of one another, but also brings it is, you know, because people can be like, oh God, I got to go home. And I see that face. It's like, okay, but what are you doing? And, and the thing is, is, it's interesting where Laird treats me a certain way and I probably respond in a way that's sexier, nicer, and all these things that he's looking for. And so I think just getting in that upcycle of taking that ownership of your of the stuff that you can be in charge of. And I used to tell my friends, listen, if you want your partner to be like a superhero, you kind of have to treat them like that. If you're beating someone down all the time and complaining and, you know, sort of personally attacking them at some point, you know, it's probably going to head that way. Their jokes. He's like, if I changed in all the ways that you thought you wanted me to, you probably wouldn't even like me anymore. So I think it's also staying strong within the sense of who you are and not allowing that person to completely infringe on that and sort of figuring out that way. And, and um, I think that is part of what has kept our relationship exciting and expanding. Yeah, I'm sure. You know, a lot of people, again, who are listening to the show, the show is work hard, play hard, and they're trying to have a work-life balance. And, you know, in a lot of cases for people, it's a myth. They spend uh, more time, if they spend more time with their family, they're business perhaps can go down. If they focus too much on their business, their family becomes a bit disconnected. If you could speak to that a little bit, how do you, I mean, I'm sure you get this question a lot, like how do you keep it all together doing all the things that you do, but how do you have some semblance of balance in your life with all the things you have going on? You know, I had somebody explain it to me too, that it can be like a flywheel versus, you know, kind of a teeter-totter as far as balance, where if everything is feeding everything, it works. So sometimes like there might be a day like today, for example, I'm with you, then I'm going to train, then I'm taping two podcasts. Today is less of a family day. It's, it's a pretty loaded work day, right? I will be with my family at dinner and things like that. But, it, you know, it, it's feeding into... Uh, something that's positive. Having said that, okay, if you're in survival mode and you got to keep the lights on, guess what, everybody? You need to work, right? And it, the family's got is going to understand that. So it's when we move into territory that it's like I don't actually have to work as hard. I'm using this as an escape. It's the gear that I use all the time. If we actually have the luxury to say, oh, I, maybe I should spend more time with your family, you probably should. Because at the end of the day, the relationships, those small conversations that you have with your kid, driving them to school in the car, it's like, that's kind of it. You know, it's so for me, it's like, let's survive. Let's figure out individually, Laird and I separately as two individuals, how we can really show up for ourselves. Because remember, you're modeling that to your children. If you don't show that to your children, you're, you're, you're missing that opportunity. But for me, it's like the richness of those relationships. I, I sort of feel like that's part of really what I'm doing here. So it's, it's first going, okay, where am I at? Am I, am I, do I have very young children and I have a new business or I'm starting out and I have to bust my ass because I'm trying to pay the bills? Then everybody get on board, you know? And then as you move through, how do you get to show up in a, in a bigger way? And it's, in the small things, that's what I mean. It's the breaking bread and it's the trip to school. It's that. It doesn't have to be grand. I think the grand stuff it isn't really where the juice is at. I think the real connection and the real stuff is in some of that tedious day-to-day stuff. So I think it's just also about being honest with yourself. Like, hey, am I hiding? Because I do it. I hide in my office all the time. I sometimes I run away from all of them because I'm just like, I can't deal with it. It's too emotional. It's, it's, it's like they're all demanding. It's just like, but I'm honest with myself. Like I know what I'm doing it. And then I'll go, right. okay, figure this out, get back in there, you know, all that. So, um, and I think it's about being like honest with everybody, with your kids, with your partner, 
Right. Some of it, I suppose, is the season of life that you're in. You know, it's different at 20 than it is at 60. It's different when you're broke and it's different when you've got some dough. So it just, it just sort of depends what's going on. And don't beat yourself up. Talk. Like, that's the thing. If you're, if you're really working to keep the ship afloat, you cannot beat yourself up. Having said that, you can't be surprised. So for example, if you're, let's say you're a, a woman and you're the one who's kind of doing that and the husband or the wife, whatever, is the one kind of keeping the wheels on the bus for the kids. You can't be surprised that when you come in to inject yourself, that the kids don't respond to you the same way that they do to the parent that's there kind of in that day in and day out way. So it's just understanding where things will fall off if you have to do one or the other. So you can't take it personal. You've got to stay realistic. Like I have a friend who's a big time military, you know, general, big, you know, heavy duty. He'll be gone doing a hard, really hard job and come back. And then the teenage daughters are like, oh, no, you don't get to tell. I'm talking to mom. You, you haven't even been here. And it's like, oh, right. but that's just kind of what it is. Right. And, and the irony is the general who's telling everybody what to do has no power in his own home. And when he's gone, it's brutal. It's not like he's out in Saint Tropez having a good old time. And so that's a hard trip too, where you're just like, I'm doing this to the family for the greater good. And I come home and I get a bunch of crap from my teenagers who aren't honoring because I haven't been there. I haven't. So I think it's just people understanding the dance. Somebody said this to me once, Byron Katie said to me, if you could do two things for your children, one, listen, don't fix it. Just listen. It's really hard to do because we have the answers, right? Get rid of that toxic friend who's crappy or whatever. And Show them, make yourself happy so they, they know what that looks like. You strike me as somebody who's really grounded in, I'm going to use the, the word in air quotes, spiritual, um, in spirituality. What, if anything, which I'm, I'm sure you have some sort of practice, what, how do you view spirituality? What does your practice look like? You know, what, what, do, what I'm going to ask you a question of giant, you know, um, open-ended question. What the hell are we doing on this planet? Like, what are we bouncing around? Like talk, give me a little color there. You know, I wouldn't say, I don't know if spiritual is the word. I guess I'm well aware of the laws of the universe. I'm clear with that. I'm clear. I'm pretty insignificant. It's sort of like I'm nothing and I'm important all at the same time as we Mm -hmm. are. I think that um, one of the things I could do while I'm here is figure out what my purpose is and the ways I can contribute unique to who I am. I think that felt really clear to me early. And when I say the laws of the universe, it's like, it's a good idea to tell the truth. It's a good idea to, to be kind. It's a good idea, you know, if you have a choice to be loving or other to be loving. And so I, I, I don't need to learn these lessons. I know this to be true. And if somebody wants to call their God, you know, if they're into Allah or Jesus or Buddha, I, for me, that doesn't really matter. I understand that we all need to get there the way that we need to. But certainly, I think there's unexplainable things larger than us. There is miracles and magic, and I'm totally down to accept it as that. I mean, listen, I've listened to plenty of, uh, you know, quantum physicists and other on the topic and you just kind of go, Hey, there, there's a mystery. And, and, and I, I think I oversimplify things because that's what I can handle. And, and I just, that's the North star for me. Like I, when I have the moment where I want to, you know, blast everybody, nitro everybody, because internally that's really way more my personality is to lean into stuff, to be kind of aggressive because it's probably fear-based, right? It's how I grew up. Mm-hmm. So it's like, you know, to, to get really dig in and be combative. And, and the minute I realized that that was out of fear and not from power and strength, I was like, let's put that, let's, you know, I have a friend who said, oh, that person exists. I just don't let them drive the car. They get to sit in the back seat, you know? And it's sort of like, I'm just trying to do that as often as I can and put the person at the wheel that's more of love, that's still, that, um, you know, is checking their ego and also checking in. I check in with myself all the time and, um, and just sort of really have, try to have a litmus of like, where are you and where are you feeling concerned? Where are you angry? Who are you like, what's going on? And just try to keep those decks clear. And I, and I really learned that from Laird, keeping the decks clear is really helpful. 
When you say keeping the decks clear, what do you mean by that? Like I don't have a lot of buildup with anything. I don't have things. Okay. I'm very direct. I don't there. Even if I'm, when I say in love, it doesn't mean I, I bite my tongue. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm very direct with people. And as I get older, I'm certainly more direct, but I try not to put anything behind it. I just try to make it like matter of fact. And I've also learned the comfort. And this is hard for a lot of women of like, you might be aggravated. You may not like me because I'm saying that, but that is my truth. And so with everyone, my kids, certainly my husband, and even in my business, how do I communicate as honestly, concisely, without ego or other things behind it, and then let it be? I want to talk to you a little bit about celebrity. You have, you two are, you know, an incredible, I hate to use the word power couple, but you get the idea. What is the upside to the celebrity that you've created? Because, you know, look, when you two walk into a room, you know, it's easy for you two to fuck a room up. Do you know what I mean? It's like, whoa, there's Gabby Reese and Laird. Does that feel weird? I guess the first question is, does that feel weird in your body when you can see that somebody in the room is being affected by who they think you are and the celebrity that they think you are? Like, what does that feel? Like, I don't, I don't know what it feels like to walk into a room and have somebody look and go, is that, oh my God, I think that's, but you do. What does that feel like? You know, that's sort of a, a game. It's sort of like, I don't, you know, I was six foot three at 15 years old. So right. I realized before being attached to some reason, supposedly that people knew who I was, people used to stare at me all the time as a kid. I, and it was, you were tall. it was super uncomfortable. Right. <clears throat> so I think for me, um, I disattached from that a long time ago. Laird is oblivious. I mean, believe me, Laird is, is a shark, right? Like when he walks in a room, he's aware of every person that's there. He kind of can tell like, oh, that guy's sketchy. Like he, he's very oh, aware. Laird is a very alert. Like, intu- like intuitive, you mean? Well, he's just an incredibly alert person. Laird's not off in the clouds. And both of us, I think, are aware. And then you go like, that has nothing to do with me. And you sort of also know it's, it's, it's made up. Like there, I go plenty of places. People don't know who I am. And then I can go to a place where people don't, it's like, it, this is all made up. Like why would one person know me and another group not know me? So then you just sort of let it go. And, and quite frankly, you know, I'm like, hopefully I'm an adult by now. And even, and even when I was a lot younger, it was, I'm going to hold myself a certain way so that at least if people do decide to come up and say stuff to me, they're usually hyper polite. And it's a very nice exchange. You know, it's like, you know, I have one of my kids was with me and, you know, my kids, I'm just their mother. And my 13 years was like, the other, and she's the toughest one on me. She's always like testing. And um, she's like, oh, that was nice. Like some lady came up to me. She's like, are you Gabby Reese? And like, whatever. And then my daughter's like, well, that was nice. You know, and I was like, Brody, if people come up and they're kind to you or say that they like something about what you've done, that's, that's very generous of them there, you know, and, and really to look at it any other way would be silly. Yeah. In, uh, 2015, you and Laird, uh, created, uh, Laird's superfood. Mm -hmm. And in 2020, you guys brought it to wall street. If I can take you back to that moment when you saw what the company was valued at, what does that feel like in your body? That's another mirage, right? Honestly, because we, it, listen, that's when the work starts. Let's not kid ourselves. We're getting our ass right now on the market. All small cap businesses are getting it. So again, I, I try to look at things with a realistic lens most of the time. And you go, this is when the work starts. Cause then the street can either lift you up or beat you down. And you're, you can be, continuing year over year sales increased by 65% and your stocks could be down because of, for whatever thing. So the only thing I focus on is what are the things I'm responsible for? It's like the relationship. How can we work harder? How can we stay innovating, innovating products that we hope people can use? And I'm the one who takes the stress on that. Laird doesn't, he's completely into like innovation and, and I'm the one who pays a little more attention to that stuff. But, you know, certainly I'm learning because this is a little bit new territory for me is stay focused on the job 
and uh, let it work out. But definitely don't go up and down with the, you know, the ticker tape because you'll go nuts. But listen, was it great that when it went public, it was like, oh, this is a gift because we've had other businesses that weren't as successful. And um, enjoy this moment because chances are you're probably not going to get to be involved with bringing another company public again, but then you never know. And now it's time to get back to work. Quite frankly, I'm not a person, I'm not down. I'm, I'm a long story person. I'm, you know, pretty even keeled, not like, Oh my gosh. And then you're dropping off a cliff, you know? (laughs) Right. Right. For sure. I see that you guys do some pool things in Hawaii with groups. Yeah. I'm sorry. I don't don't know much more than that. What, What, what is it? We have a, a brand called XPT and XPT is sort of um, breathe, move and recover is the kind of the underlying tagline because breathing is something you'll see. It's a huge movement from Wim Hof or Patrick McCune or James Nestor's book, or there's just, and you know, you could go back and pranayama and like real deep practices. Um, and you know, we lost that. And so one of our things is the importance of paying attention to your breath and uh, how to breathe correctly. Movement is, is a part of, you know, who we are. And then recovery, I think for Laird, especially, it was like, Hey, listen, recovery isn't, I got a day off. I'm sitting on the couch. Recovery is participating active recovery. So is it ice? Is it breathing? Is it stretching? Is it walking out in nature? Things that not only help you recover, but actually support your recovery. And so XPT was born uh, actually prior to Laird Superfood. And one of the things we do is underwater pool training, which was really randomly developed for Laird, who was not interested in swimming laps, but trying to improve his performance in, you know, in big waves if things don't go well. And um, it's low impact. You are, you know, training with, you know, sort of in compression. There's so many other positive things to it. And you, you get to touch your curtain a little bit. So for example, hypoxic training with, you, you know, becoming more efficient with less air. Okay. And so the thing with this is, is you'll be in a situation that the actual only way you can finish the task or the drill is to relax. Cause the minute your monkey mind starts going, like, I feel out of breath, I'm uncomfortable. Now you're burning more air. So here you get to work in a neutral environment. You can be ballistic, not jam on your joints, but you can also push yourself in a way that's like, I can't tell myself I have to relax. If I genuinely don't physiologically relax, I'll burn more oxygen. I'm actually going to go against what I'm trying to do. So it really gives you an, an, an interesting environment to do some work. And the XPT program also is on an app. And I got that today. And I did that this morning, my morning. It's we're yeah. opposite. And I did it today in the Italian gym. And I, I think I had every Italian looking at me going, what the hell is, you know, you this breathing? guy doing here? Were you doing the breathing app or we, well, I did, well, I, I did it. I did the workout. Yeah, I chose a workout and I did the workout and then I did the breathing after it. And it's, uh, it's, it's really funny because to give you a little idea of what it's like actually working out in an Italian gym, oh, I know. I had, I had somebody, um, as I'm running on the treadmill, tell me, be careful, don't go too fast. You're going to break it. So like, <laughs> oh, I'm well aware when I actually, when I was with Nike, I was doing some like kind of trip to Europe once like England and France and the Italian rep picked me up. And she had high heels on and like a beautiful cashmere sweater. And she was like this incredibly sexy woman. And I was like, this is the Nike rep from Italy. You know, like you go to England oh, and they're like in track suits, you know, and it's like, and she was like, oh, ciao, Gabby, you know, and I was like, oh, fantastic. Okay. It's literally like a cartoon here. Yeah. I, uh, I met with uh, my attorney and I said, hey, after, um, after my workout, um, he wanted to meet me for lunch. I said, after my workout, do you mind? I, I don't know that I'm going to have time to get home and get changed. Um, do you mind if I uh, come straight from the gym? Ew. I'm in the workout clothes. He thought I was out of my mind. Oh, yeah. He said, "We'll we'll change we'll change the time." But no, you yeah. cannot come to the restaurant. Yeah. Like it's insanity. Get it together, you know. When <laughs> yeah. I'm bringing Laird there, and he has slip. They call them slippers in Hawaii, flip flops. If you're an East Coaster, yeah. I enjoy like, like what is that? Forget it. Like, they don't even no, know, like, yes. just, yeah, it's not, it maybe yeah. in the sauna, but that's as far as that's going to go. And the great contrast is in Hawaii, you don't stare at each other. You do not stare at each other. You just don't. It's considered highly rude and confrontational. And then you go to Italy and they, and France, and they look at you at your feet. 
Then they look like by your belt. And then they look at you in your eyes. And in Hawaii, like you would get punched out pretty quickly. And so it's always funny to bring them with their flip-flops, their slippers to Europe. And then they're like, what the hell is this guy looking at? And then, you know, it's a whole thing. <laughs> oh, that's really funny. Oh, yeah. Um, okay. So um, as we wrap up, I'm going to ask you some questions that will fall into the, these are weird. Why is he asking me these questions? Questions category. In 2001, you posed fully nude in Playboy. Yes. What was the best part of that? Um, I was paid handsomely and I produced the whole thing. I mean, quite frankly, at that time in my career, you know, you do things for attention because you're passionate or you're very clear that it bumps up maybe against some of your, it doesn't go past what you can agree to do and you're being compensated. I produced the whole thing with a photographer I had worked with since I was 18. I shot that when I was 30. I trusted him. It was just him and I and an assistant, no hair, no makeup. He handed the pictures in the layout and then I was paid and I paid him handsomely as well. Was it fun? Uh, like posing nude on a rock and like seaweed and stuff. I mean, not over. I, I mean, like, I, I think, I, you know, I'm not, a, I'm not a girl, so I have no idea. But I think that, you know, like as you get older, oh. that, you, you know, you'd probably look back, you know, I don't know. There's just, well, I'm just wondering what. The death is to compare yourself to your old self. Oh, you know, you want to get serious. You know, I used to be, it's like, Oh my God. The, the thing I really appreciate about those images. And I chose that photographer, Philip Dixon for a very specific reason. If people see those pictures, it's the female form. It is actually not pornographic. And yeah. so I had guys come up to me. I was working out at gold's gym and they were like, I saw your pictures in playboy. And they kind of give me this twisty face. And I was like, not pornographic enough. They're like, yeah. I'm like, I know you wanted like red lipsticks and like bubbles coming out on my thing. And like, you know, high heels. Yeah. It's the female form. So for that, I'm okay with it. That's interesting. I, I just, I, I just think it's so cool that you were willing to go there. I mean, that's amazing. I don't know about that. No, it is. I, I, the, the reason why, the reason why it, it was interesting for me is because it's, you have such a varied career, right? It's, it's like volleyball and modeling and, uh, you know, big business. And now it, you know, like, it's just a little, like you're willing to go anywhere, which I thought was great. Yeah. I think we all have it in us. And because I didn't grow up, you know, that's the thing. One of the best things about the way I grew up was there were no rules. You know, it's nice when you have a nice family, but inadvertently we get indoctrinated with rules. Like we're going to go to this school and then we're going to do this. It was a free for all. So I was like, oh, let me check that out. Let me check this out. And the only thing I've learned is whatever you do, make sure you're clear with it with yourself and do a good job. Great. Okay. What do people often get wrong about you? I don't, I have no clue. I think that one mistake maybe people make when they meet me is thinking I'm not paying attention to them because they think, because I've had a life for over 30 years with a somewhat, um, a lot of attention, you know, like when I go places, like if there's attention on me, what they don't realize is actually both Laird and I are paying attention to whoever's around us. So it's kind of a great thing because you are clear about who's around you. I think people would think I'm only interested in sort of myself. Oh, like if you're out to dinner or something like that, you're with the people that you're with. Yeah. And they don't realize that in a way they think they're looking at me, but they don't realize I'm looking at them. And Got because it. they're not, it's kind of wonderful because everyone's transparent at that point because they don't actually think you're paying attention to them. It's really interesting. What's one thing that you have not gotten to in your life? And if you don't get to it, you're going to have massive regret. I think there's a part of me that really yearns in a behind the way, facilitating way to be a communicator. I think for me, starting doing television and I was writing in my early 20s and um, you know, writing books and now whatever podcasts, there's a part of me for whatever reason that actually gets the most satisfaction out of being a facilitator of, from information to human beings. So I think my hope is, is that at some point that actually is big. I would like that to be bigger. Um, and I'm not a person who usually has that mentality about wanting something to be like more, but there's something about that that's been in my mind. So I'm not sure if it's like an instinct about something, but that's something that, yeah, I think is part of it. 
You have an unbelievably good way of communicating. You're incredibly articulate. Where do you think that came from? Being non-emotional. I think I, I've always had big gatekeepers, like three or four before the words came out. And, um, and so I, I think uh, I just have always practiced the, that. And, uh, and, you know, listen, we all have things. And I, there's a lot of things I don't have. <laughs> Maybe that's one of the things that I got a little extra. It's great. What are some things that you're currently doing that you, you don't really love and you'd really like to do less of it, but for whatever reason right now you're doing it? Honestly, I, I really need an assistant. I, I'm doing some menial BS that is not, it sort of feels like a colossal waste of my time. But the problem is I just think that it lands on my lap. It needs to be done a certain way. And because we're in a sort of very interesting growth time with Laird Superfood and some other things, it feels really important for me to have my finger on it. But I feel like at this time, I'm like, why am I dealing with this? Mm-hmm. Yeah. What's an unusual or absurd thing? that you love? Unusual or absurd? Yeah. In other words, somebody would think like, God, that's really interesting that she's into that. I would not have guessed that. I think people think I'm probably pretty serious, which I weirdly am, but I'm a person who really enjoys um, comedy quite a bit. And it's weird because I'm not an out loud laughing person. (laughs) I'm just not. But it's it's in there. I'm like, uh, so if you said, what would be two things you'd want to watch? Documentary or comedy? And that's it. I mean, meaning like stand-up, like really smart stand-up and stuff. Because maybe I wish I could be more like that. Like people who laugh really loud and like say stuff off the cuff and don't even care. Because part of me is so measured so often that I think I... And it's you have to be clever to be funny. And so I think I really love that. You probably really admire Joe Rogan. Uh, well, I admire Joe Rogan for a lot more reasons than his comedy, actually. To be honest, I, I think his ability... Because what you see behind Joe Rogan is a kind person who's just trying to disseminate information and get it out there and give people space and time. And that's really hard to do. He's you know hardly ever mean, but then sometimes he will throw the gauntlet down. So you're like, Joe Rogan has balls and he'll like say his real opinion. But I think people don't realize it's really hard what he's doing. And also to be able to take the heat, like take that heat. I'm like, yo, Joe Rogan has some, some moxie. He's got some, he's got some moxie. He, I, he lets it roll, roll off his back too. I think he's very, I actually, weirdly, I know this sounds weird. I think he's probably highly evolved. No, it doesn't. I mean, he, he I think so because he's he, his ability to be able to have a discussion with Barack Obama or yeah. literally anybody. And I don't think he same. takes himself serious. Like I don't, that's the other side. I don't think Joe Rogan, maybe he got it late enough in life, the, the high volume fame that like he can handle it. He can do it. If you could spend one month anywhere in the world, you are a well-traveled person. Where would it be and why? I think maybe Africa. I haven't spent a lot of time in Africa. And I think I, I would just be interested to see place that maybe is still... I know there's, a listen, a lot of uh, heavy things about Africa. But I think maybe just being in a place where maybe it's very stripped away mm-hmm. would be interesting. I mean, you know, I live in Hawaii part of the year and, and, um, and I grew up in the Caribbean and stuff. But maybe there's just something where it's like just back to the essence. You know, like, what are we really talking about? Okay, there's food, there's a roof. Because I think life gets so busy and full of a bunch of clutter. And and luckily, I live with somebody who's really good at that, like really focusing on just the essence. But maybe that that would be why. All right, we're going to hit a speed round now. What would one of your friends say is one of your superpowers? I think I can hold space for people to, to like work it out without putting my stuff on it. Like I'm that even keeledness. I'm like, try to hold space for my friends to create a safe place for them to kind of navigate their own questions. Do you collect anything or have you ever collected anything? No, I am the opposite. I don't, I want less. I want less. I don't want stuff. I'm very good at getting rid of stuff. Very good. You're a throw throw outer. Yeah. Even like, Oh, here's a trophy. Oh my God. Like really get, let's go. (laughs) What book have you reread or re-listened to the most? Maybe the, probably the four agreements, Mm -hmm. you know, just like tune up, like, oh yeah. 
What's your guilty pleasure? Uh, I think to honestly, to be alone, it wasn't a guilty pr- pleasure when I was single <laughs> before I had children. <laughs> and as you move through life and, you know, I've been a parent for t- 25 years just to be alone, just to be like, uh, like I have the clicker, like I'm watching what I want to watch. Just like, that's it. Like no one's just, around, you know, just give me the remote. Just give me the remote. Control. I think that is one of my guilty pleasures for sure. <laughs> All right. Last two questions. Uh, if you had to give a TED talk on nothing that you're known for, nothing that you speak about, and it could be on anything that you like or anything you have a passion for, what would it be? I think I would love to do talks on or figure out how to be smart enough to talk on focusing on keeping it really, really simple. For me, if someone said, hey, what what is the thing that keeps is the best thing that's been the best thing for me is keep breaking everything down, keeping it simple, keep breaking it down, keeping it simple. And also I love this idea of, because I really want to be strong. Like I do, it's something interesting for me about this idea of carrying myself, trying to be stoic, trying to all these things, but to do it from a place of love and, and sort of allowance, like not exerting my will on people. I think those things for me, are very interesting because I, I feel that they pay off in a, in a very rich way, not in an immediate way, mm-hmm. but in a real way. Love that. Last question. Let's change it up a little bit. What one question would you like to ask me? What has inspired you to want to talk about these things? What happened to you in your life that you, you thought, oh, I'm going to dedicate time and interview people to talk around the topics of whether it's work-life balance or what have you? I was an abused kid. Uh, I grew up in New York. My dad was an alcoholic and I got beat a lot. And the way that I dug myself out of a crappy Queens, New York apartment with an alcoholic dad was to focus on work and to focus on making money. And over probably the first... 30 years of my life, that was the only thing that was important to me. And I didn't give a shit about anything else. I was heavier. I got divorced. I uh, largely ignored my first child in uh, in service to work. Mm-hmm. And then as I started getting older, I realized that I only have so many more years left in life and I need to learn how to, I need to learn to embrace all the other areas of my life, not just business, my relationships, my health, spirituality, friends, family, all those things. And I didn't really know what the fuck I was doing to do it. And I had to learn. And so over the last probably decade, I've been on a journey to focus equally as best as I can on other areas of my life. And that is one of the reasons why at this stage, I'll be 55 next week. At this stage, it drove me to live in what I believe is one of the most beautiful cities in the world, Florence. Right now, it's only been a couple of weeks, but the quality of living is what I was after. I want to look people in the eye. I want to say buongiorno in the morning. I want to have uh, an espresso and I want to have small talk with the the guy in the coffee shop. And I want to embrace, like this afternoon, I hired an art history guide um, twice a week. She's coming to meet with me and we're spending four hours, two times a week, walking around the city and learning about art and uh, wine and culture. And uh, I I did it, today was my first day. Uh, Tomorrow, I have an Italian teacher that's coming twice a week to teach me how to speak Italian. And so that was context for the, the question. But the answer to the question is I needed, I want to learn from people like you. Like everything that you said today was like so powerful to allow me to live my life better. And I think the big takeaway for me was your 
your strength is your ability, I think, from just spending an hour with you, your ability to be really fucking clear about your about what you're saying to somebody. There's no bullshit behind it. You're just you're you I started the interview with saying that you were authentic because that was my way of that was my understanding of who you were, but I'm ending it with feeling that the power that I see in you that I want to own more of myself is to be more, more honest and more direct with my communication with people. Did any of that make sense? It makes a lot of sense. Two things jump out. First of all, how's your relationship with your oldest child? Great now. She's 24. She's 24. She lives in San Diego. And over that last decade, I've been super intentional about making sure that we're connected. And now she would, if, you know, if, if she were here right now, she would, she would tell you that we're crazy tight. And, and the second thing that makes, makes me think of it, first of all, I appreciate you sharing that is what you start to realize is we all have a story, everybody. And, and, um, and what our job, I think, as we get older is to be released from that story, right? Mm. Is to move towards the things we want, not for any other reason, but because we want them, but not in reaction to. And because you'll learn, I, I think we learn, like, as we get older, like, everybody had something. And less, some less than others, and some, like, really concrete, like, if you had a dad that, you know, physically hurt you and things like that. But what, what I think life is also about is, oh, I'm not moving towards anything in reaction to something from before. I'm moving towards the things that interest me or call me. And then that's like when the real healing happens, right? And so I, I feel like that is such an important job as an adult. And that, and, that, and that we, and you certainly don't do this, but I'm saying, and that we offload like, oh, I can observe or I can recall the facts that this did occur to me, but that has nothing to do with what's happening now. And, and yes, yeah, certainly we develop maybe certain traits or things as a byproduct, but that slowly we, we move only towards the things we want versus, you know, I have a friend, we joke, he, they didn't always have a lot of food. And so I go, you got a burrito in your bag? You know, everywhere he goes, he carries like extra food. <laughs> and that's like his one leftover thing. Like now he's making a joke. And so like when I'll, he'll come to visit and I'll order him food and he's going to, let's say he's going to leave to go. Home. And I go, you want, should I get a burrito? And he's like, get a burrito. So yeah, just in case, just in case. Cause, and I get it, but it's just, you know, it's getting there. And also being so strong to go. I don't know. I did screw up. I am scared. Whatever. I love it. Well, Gabby, this was awesome. Better better than I thought it was going to be. Not that I thought it was going to be bad, but it was that's, really, that's really one great. Of the things also, when you said, well, what will people don't get? I think sometimes like people are like, I never knew you thought that. I'm like, nobody ever asked me. Like, well, I'm glad I... Out? How about carbohydrates? <laughs> I'm like, okay. Should, should we do keto? Is that what we should yeah. do? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that's the easy stuff. I know. Gabby, thank you for taking the time and thank you for um, your willingness to give me a shot. I, you, uh, you were really kind uh, to say yes to this interview. So thank you. Easy. All right. Thanks for listening. If you love this episode and you know someone that needs some help in either stepping up their work hard game or their play hard game, it would mean the world to me if you shared this podcast with them to help me get this movement out there. So if you like what you heard, head on over to iTunes, take 30 seconds and leave me a five-star review and I will be forever grateful. So until the next episode, excuses are over. It's time to live. 